Welcome to Tailboard Talk, a fourth shift fitcast. The mission of Tailboard Talk and the fourth shift fitness is to educate and train fire service personnel to increase durability and decrease the potential for injuries and their associated costs. My name is Chris Morella, owner and founder of Fourth Shift Fitness. I'll use my experience as a personal trainer, strength coach, and 15-year veteran of the fire service to deliver tips, tricks, lessons, and information specifically geared towards the health and wellness of firefighters and paramedics. Each episode, you'll leave with immediate deliverables that will improve performance and resilience and keep you in the fight through your career and into retirement. Let's get into it. Hey everyone, welcome to Tailboard Talk. Chris here and Kurt is with me again. We've had two episodes of ragging on stuff, either clients or CrossFit or coaches or whatever. Kurt had the novel idea of maybe benefiting the community somehow and coming back with stuff you should be doing. Uh, a positive episode, potentially. Where we're going to list off, we're going to start with body weight this week, maybe move to uh, some sort of equipment in the upcoming weeks or something. We're going to do body weight, though, and we're each going to go down our three favorite or staple or suggested body weight movements, and then that's as a bonus, we have two mobility movements at the end that we both like. So from this episode, you'll have at least six movements that we think are good that you can do, and we'll probably explain them in detail or what, at least what the pros and cons of them are, and then probably four mobility things. That's assuming we stick to the list and don't get too sidetracked, and we actually get through three and two per person. So let's kick it off. And, well, I guess before we kick it off, this is going to be, this episode will be the prime example of why Kurt and I work well together, is you're going to see a stark contrast, uh, most likely, in our movements, where you'll see Kurt is a bit more fancy, and I am a bit underwhelming in description. However, when it gets to the meat and potatoes of it, um, pretty effective stuff. I'm sure you can already see where that's going. So, without further delay, Kurt... What is your first favorite body weight exercise? I'm going to get to it, but I just want to go back to the spot that you just said where okay. I'm going to be the fancy one and you're going to be the boring one because I feel like when we created workouts together, I was always the boring one and you're like, hey, we haven't invented a trap bar exercise this week, so let's come up with some ridiculous trap bar thing okay. to do. And now uh, as I sent you my list of stuff and you're like, oh, you're going to be so fancy. I'm like... I didn't think I was really being that fancy with these, but. All right. Cre I'm creative. And I'm going to read your list to myself real quick. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to describe them other than fancy. All right. They're fancy. And um, I do like inventing movements, but that was, uh, that was a fun time when we were creating movements and stuff. I will say that the ones I'm going to go through, if I didn't have to program for other people and or Katie uh, I probably do these three plus two other ones pretty much every single time. Um, and I throw a fun one in there once in a while and get a little bored and do some stuff. But I just, I like the basic stuff. I like the fundamental yeah. stuff. And so that's kind of what I, that's what I, I went with fundamental movements. How about that? I the, went with fundamental, fundamental stuff always works. Yeah. And uh, I think as I was coming up with this list, I was thinking kind of at the end of our last pod where we said, we talked about how long people were going to stay at home or whether they would return to a facility or something mm -hmm. along those lines. And so I was just trying to give, possibly look at some things that were maybe just some slight variations of some very uh, foundational movements instead of um, maybe replicating something or repeating something that somebody has been doing in their living room for uh, the last 
400 days or so since they stopped going to the gym. Well, I did what every bad coach does, and I said what I like to do instead of what's best for the client. So <laughs> enjoy. enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> so we have a coach and enthusiast here today. Right. Oh, God. All right. Give me your, give me your number one. All right. So my number one, I'm, I'm doing uh, pillar single leg body sauce. And so um, for us, a pillar position... Uh, my terminology on that is is elbows and toes, and so that might be um, someone's plank. Plank for us is a push up, the top of a push up position. Um, so in this position, um, you're going to suspend one leg up in the air, just lift it maybe an inch or two off of the ground, and then using your arms, you're going to glide back and forth uh, as far as your ankle range of motion allows you to. And uh, I typically like this one. Uh, it I, I like movements that you can use in a multitude of ways. And so we'll use this one um, maybe in a warm-up or a prep situation if I know that we're going to be sprinting in that that session because I like the the, the full range of motion that your ankle goes through uh, when doing this movement. Um, I'll use it as maybe a filler movement if we're squatting or deadlifting um, so that it gives you an opportunity uh, to increase your ankle range of motion to... Uh, as you're building up, uh, you know, sets of, of a big, big monster lift at that point. Um, or I'll just use it independently as, as just a core exercise. Um, and the fact that you kind of go tripod versus having all four extremities on the ground, uh, you know, ends up just being a little bit of a different twist than a normal pillar position. Um, you know, and every time we talk about, uh, stuff with the pillar, like for us, you know, we always go on a talk of like how much we hate the word core and uh you know that most people think that your core is j- just your six pack or the uh the muscles behind the stuff that's in front of your six pack but uh for us we really use it as like the top of your knees all the way up to your shoulder blades and um if you can maintain uh stability in that while moving your extremities to me that ends up being uh, a capable core at that point um so that's that's our first one so that's, you had a good description, but I just want to clarify it a little bit. Your forearms are on the ground, right? Mm-hmm. And they're staying still. They're staying still. And then your, let's say your right ball of your foot and toe is on the ground, and that's staying still, basically. And then you're hinging at your elbow and your ankle. Is that right? Correct. And your big toe. And yep. your, your big toe's in there, too. And your big but, toe, yep. Okay. And then your hips are in line. In line, belly button, straight down to the floor the whole time. So when do we, when would you, uh, if somebody's going to try this, because this is a tough one, potentially, mm-hmm. um, can you hook one foot over your heel if you need to, right? You can, yeah. Just to make it a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. And then when would you cut this movement off? Like you're doing them, let's say either you're doing 10 of them or 15 seconds worth of them. When are you cutting that off or telling people to stop and reset? It's a very small rep range on this one. And if, if any point you feel your comp- your posture is compromised, so hips start dropping down towards the floor, or fatigue is limiting the range of motion that your ankle is able to go through, then that's when I would stop it. So do one good rep, and as long as you can repeat that good rep, do a second one. But if you feel like you're shortening range of motion or uh, your low back starting to drop down towards the floor, then that's when I'd cut it. That's going to be kind of a recurring theme in these movements, I think, right? Just do one yep. do one amazing one, and then see how many more amazing ones you can do before you do something else or stop altogether. Mm-hmm. All right, well, are you ready, ready to be dazzled? Ready. My number one movement, I shouldn't say it, my movement at the top of the list is a push-up. And uh, that's it. Number, no, I'm just joking. So a push-up, 
And I think, listen, listen to your first uh, explanation and what your other two are. I think I know what happened here. I'm cheating, and I picked movement patterns I really like. Mm-hmm. Uh, because in my mind, I'm like, there's a million variations of that. And you picked one specific movement, which is probably the assignment for today. <laughs> so, um, And that's what I thought about it is I was like, well, there's squats. I'm like, but then there's squat jumps and then rotational yeah. squat jumps. And I didn't want to say squats, but here's 30 different squat variations you can also do. Because I think we'll get to those eventually. Definitely. So I'm gonna still I'm gonna stick with push up, standard push up. I, I was gonna say standard American push up, but I'm not sure. That, I'm sure it is a thing that's probably not advisable. Standard push up. So the one variation I'll give you is on your knees or toes, which I know is a thing. I got to tell you, I never really saw the big deal with going to your knees for a push up. Truthfully, like in the in the broad spectrum of doing a push up for the general gains we're looking for and the still activation you get through your core and your midline and all that. I didn't see a huge detriment to it. I know it's a big discussion. We moved to wall push-ups at LGN uh, for a while as opposed to going to your knees. Um, I never really wanted to vilify the knees that bad, but a push-up for me is like one of the ultimate expressions of upper body strength and control as well as core and control because you can do one of these and it feels real easy and then you can just burn out on them. And it's one of those movements where you just hit an absolute wall. You might do eight and feel okay. And then do nine and feel not so great. And then you can't make it to 11 for some reason. And any movement that has that quick of a threshold, uh, obviously incorporates a lot of parts. You're going to feel it maybe in a different spot every time you do it. If you do it consistently enough and with different rep ranges enough, you might feel in your triceps more, you might feel in your chest more. You might feel it in even your, your abs and your quote-unquote core more. Um, and there's very few things more difficult than burning out your quads doing a movement and then doing a push-up because you have to use your quads to keep your legs straight and your hips kind of flat. And so if you already burn out your legs doing high rep squats or sprints or something, even something heavy, and you get into a plank or a push-up position, a lot of times that that link between your hip and your knee, that quad, will actually feel the most fatigued first. So I pick push-ups, full body movement, closed chain, which uh, limits you a little bit. But that's that's a huge movement for me and one of my top three. Mm-hmm. Do, do you know what the big, off the top of your head, the big reason that people don't like knee push-ups is? I think there's two different reasons for it. One is the stabilization um, between the anterior side and posterior side when you switch between knees and feet, which I don't think, for us, I don't think was a huge deal. Our other thing kind of kind of goes back to a topic we t- covered before of we had a certain rep standard that we had to hit. And so instead of using a push-up as an upper body, awesome upper body strength exercise and doing six awesome ones from our feet, someone told us we had to do 15. And so to do that, we had to drop down to our knees and do it for the sake of getting something accomplished versus using the exercise for what it was intended (laughs) for versus training and getting stronger. Correct. (laughs) Yeah. And I never, I always thought of it as kind of a more global thing too. Like if someone, if someone's struggling to the point where they can't do a push up from their toes, then they're probably not strong enough in their upper body either. Right. Cause the entire Mm -hmm. chain is failing. Right. And if they need to go on their knees and that takes care of maybe the, the, maybe that shortens the leverage on their, their quote unquote core now their upper body can do its job. They're still getting stronger somewhere. Mm-hmm. And so I'll take that. I'll take 50% improvement over 0% improvement. Um, and then eventually the ship will rise with the tide, right? Their upper body gets right. stronger, can 
carry more of an angle on that. Then you can go to your toes, and then you can build your core strength, which is kind of been getting touched all the time. But I never really got into the whole uh, vilification of knee push-ups. I think um, the third thing with it, too, was skipping steps when you were getting to, like, a plyo push-up or maybe an advanced push-up and going, why are we doing plyo push-ups from our knees when we can't do regular push-ups from our toes okay. or, or transition them over to the wall or something along those lines. And so I think that was, uh, that was kind of a, uh, topic on it as well. Yeah, that's true. That's definitely more doing a plyo push-up on the wall is definitely more palatable. If you're going to, if you're going to skip steps, that's the way to do it. Plyo push-ups on the wall for mm-hmm. sure. All right. What do you have for number two? Number two, I have skydivers. Um, skydivers basically it looks like you're you're doing a snow angel except face down um again i like this as like a kind of a multi-use movement it's a it's an awesome movement in a warm-up uh maybe for for upper body pulling days but i think it's also a, a great movement that you can put as kind of like an arm burnout and a finisher if you're trying to as well um we we kind of talked about movements at the beginning of this and uh, you know, the different movement patterns that, you know, your, your body can move in. And so the skydiver kind of gives your scapula an opportunity to move in a bunch of those patterns. So you can get, uh, some elevation, some depression with it, but you also get medial and lateral rotation of it, which isn't a movement that, um, a movement pattern that, that is easily replicable in the weight room. And so being able to, uh, kind of rotate on that, uh, medial lateral, axis is is uh, important for long-term shoulder health um, so the way you do this is you, you just go face down you hover your hands up over your head like you're diving into a swimming pool um, maybe an inch or two off the ground and with a big swooping pattern you bring them down to your pockets and then you return them back up overhead uh, there's no need to excessively uh, go into extension through your low back sometimes you'll see that where people kind of seal up you know with it um also, no real need to lift your feet off the ground. Uh, a lot of times, people will stop the movement early because they've uh, extended too much through their uh, low back, and uh, the failure or fatigue of their low back has has uh, greatly impeded the movement from what it's actually supposed to be. So, um, so again, for us. Uh, use it a lot in a warm-up if we're going to do some upper body pulling and uh, a lot in a finisher. It's just a, a very easy to do uh, arm burnout. I like that one. I didn't put it in my list, but I like it. Um, and you said that there's no real reason to bring their feet up, but I got to say that's one of the, that's something I would add to people that I felt had the prerequisite hip extension and maybe were just just strong and they we knew that 20 skydivers wasn't gonna be in mm-hmm. maybe a challenge for them um and it's tricky but you can tell people that to lift their knees off the ground or gap their knees off the ground by squeezing their butt so the mechanism of squeezing your butt and kind of extending your hip into the ground which is immovable obviously because your hips can't go forward anymore uh your your legs will raise up kind of behind you mm-hmm. that's the extension we want that's difficult because it it is difficult. And so then when your butt gets tired, your low back takes over and you can still keep your knees up and your feet up, but your low back is carrying the, the brunt of that weight. So if you're going to attempt that, make sure that you, as soon as you start to feel like, oh, my butt's really strong, I'm getting better at this. It's not getting strong and you're not better at it. You actually just stop using your butt and now your lower back's taking over. So that's got, it's really helpful to have a partner there or somebody that can poke you with a stick 
Um, make sure that your butt is flexed and not your lower back, but extending that movement out. If you need a little extra challenge, if you're listening to this and you're just a super strong person that 20 skydivers isn't going to phase you, try to throw a little bit of hip extension into it and we can kind of uh, make it worse for you. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I'm, I'm off the ground with my next one, my next two actually, but if there's one thing I've learned, it's that I like the lunge pattern and lunges are cool and lunges are fun, but there's one lunge pattern that I like the most and that's a split squat. And you, it's kind of counterintuitive because you're stuck, like you're not moving your feet necessarily, but I like the split squat because your feet are fixed in place. I like it for the reason that you might not think I like it. I like it because your feet are fixed in place. And if you extend fully, extend both legs fully, then you're going to get a hip stretch on the backside and you're going to force a little bit of hip, hip extension on the backside that you don't necessarily get in a lunge. You can short change a lunge and short leg a lunge so that you can step out in a forward moving lunge and go down into it and then come back up out of it and never fully extend your hip. But if you are in a split squat with your legs, you know, two feet in front of you and two feet in back of you and your back toe is spiked on the ground, an active back foot, and you come up as tall as you can till both basically both knees are locked out, you have to extend your back hip. And so that's why I like the split squats. Besides that, um, you can it does not take a lot of split squats to start getting terrible and burn yourself out. You can do 20 seconds of split squats and then hold the bottom position with your knee hovering off the ground an inch for 20 seconds, and that will be enough. And then you'd have to do the other side too, but you get the idea quickly. And so I like it for strength building. You can use it for isometrics. You can use it in kind of an eccentric fashion, even when you're not loaded. Um, and then you can really get a burnout in it and, and kind of dig in. And it only takes about a minute aside to dig in and be completely cashed out. So my number two is the split squat. Eventually, when we get into weighted movements or dumbbells or barbells, you'll see that one again. Because I, I would rather lunge or split squat over squat or deadlift a majority of the time. I just like them more. Um, I don't know if it's the hockey background or I just never had a huge foundation of squatting and deadlifting I feel way more comfortable lunging and split squatting so that's one of my major major go-tos uh, when it comes to like, that's why because you feel more comfortable that's why I feel way more comfortable <laughs> I feel way more comfortable my favorite uh, yeah it's it, it is one of those things though it's perishable like when I was deadlifting a lot more I felt really good doing that and then I went to go do a, a weighted lunge and I thought like my, I thought my pelvis was going to rip in half and I was going to fall over. So it's def- definitely perishable, but if you're in the groove with it, man, they feel mm-hmm. feel really good. And I like being in the minority, too, of people that like doing... Like single leg? Yeah. I like being the single leg minority mm-hmm. and people look goofy at you. Um, but they can't compare it because they don't train it. So you say, like, oh, I can do, like, um, split squats with 185 on a barbell, you know? Mm-hmm. They don't, people don't know whether to make fun of you or give you props right. for that. Yeah. So. Is that good or bad? What <laughs> so, is that? <laughs> trust me, it's good. Yeah. <laughs> trust me, I'm it's really amazing. super strong. Don't worry about that. All right, anything to add on split squats? I like them. I like them. My, uh, what did we do the other day? We did like three position ones. So you'd start at the bottom, lift your back knee up three inches or so, go back down, go up halfway, go back down, go up all the way, go back down, and nice. just repeat that. I think we did that in a finisher, and it was you know, maybe 60 seconds on each leg and something along those lines, but just another way to vary that one up. Yeah. I like that one. So that, I didn't, I followed the rules on that one. That's a specific movement that, uh, is also excellent. All right. What do you got for number three? My last one is Smurf Jacks. 
Um, Smurf jacks, it's uh, just a, a variation of a, of a jumping jack. Um, again, I kind of tried to select one that you could use for uh, a variety of reasons. Um, we'll use it in the warm-up as kind of a... Uh, kind of a CNS activator, you know, uh, something rapid fire to really kind of get everything moving before we go lift heavy weight. Um, also at its, at its elementary level, a jumping jack is just an awesome ankle prep for agility. Um, if you think about every step of a, of a jumping jack is a, is a deceleration, like similar to, to cutting, um, and sprinting. So, um, you know, if, if we're going to be doing any prolonged shuttles or anything with a change of direction, jumping jacks, uh, tend to be, uh, pretty common in our warmups at that point, but it's also a good move that you can use in a finisher. Uh, you string it together with something like push-ups, you know, where you do like a 25 thing for three minutes and, and kind of burn yourself out that way. Um, and we'll also use it just kind of a standalone in a complex, uh, something like an apoxic ladder where we say, do 20 of these as fast as you can take one breath only and do another 20 and you just keep doing that until you either need to take two recovery breaths between pauses or until you can't do 20 fast anymore. Um, so just kind of a, a, a wide variety of uh, applications that you can use it for. And for us, a Smurf Jack looks like a jumping jack. You just do it from a quarter squat and you do it as fast as you can. So instead of having uh, straight arms, straight legs the whole time through the movement, you come down into like a quarter squat and you do super fast jumping jacks from there. It's tough. It's a deceiving name because it looks, it, you envision it sounding goofy and it starts to look goofy when you're doing it, but it's a tough one. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the major things we always noticed with that was the importance that as people do their Smurf Jack, their lower body moves properly. So what we saw a lot of was um, people would move their feet out quickly, but their knees would stay relatively stationary. If that makes sense. So they would actually rotate from the hip and at the wide part of the Smurf Jack, they would be in a really bad valgus position, almost like their knees were tied together. Um, and so one thing that we started to coach people was lead with your knees. So as you do your Smurf Jack, almost like you have a band around your knees that you need to stretch every single Smurf Jack. And that way, when you're in that the out or the wide position, you almost look like you're descending into a squat necessarily. You don't look like you're in a bad valgus collapse position. So if you're going to do those, keep track of that. But yeah, would you... Um, if someone's going to try those the first time, what kind of rep scheme would you give them? If they were trying the first time, I'd be maybe in like a 20 to 25 range and just work on replicating sets of that quickly. Because the whole thing for me with Smurf Jacks is you shouldn't you shouldn't get to a point where you're losing maximum intensity on the movement. So if you feel like the goal is to do 25 and by 16 you're moving with like 50% speed, then we need to drop that, that target number down to the, to the number that you can move this thing with, with some, uh, kind of, I don't want to say violent intent, but some, some intent to move fast. It's gotta be aggressive, right? Mm-hmm. It's gotta be. Cause yeah, it's, it's a purposeful movement. And so this isn't a long-term cardio movement. This is like all out intensity for as long as you can muster, which 20 of them won't take 20 seconds. You know, you can probably do three per second. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would, I would say most people are probably losing that intensity at eight to 12 seconds, maybe. And, you know, hard chargers are probably getting 15 to 20 seconds before they're petering out on that. Yeah. But that's how you know, if you're going 45 seconds, you're not moving fast enough. 
or even 30 seconds, you're definitely not moving fast enough. So keep an eye on that. And right? if you're doing that, it should be in bursts. And, you know, so if, if, if we prescribe and we're saying, I want 60 seconds of Smurf Jacks, you're not doing continuous Smurf Jacks for 60 seconds. You're doing a burst of 13 and you're resting for a couple seconds and then maybe a burst of nine, but accumulating over the course of 60 seconds. But there will be, you know, four or five, six stoppages in that time. This is... uh. I think this, just like when we talked about vertical pulls last time, this is another like distinguishing characteristic of, of our program or your program versus what's out there, because this is something that really takes some coaching, at least to set the format of it. And then even if you just do one session with someone and teach them the general rules, they'll have the idea of it. But this is kind of what we talked about in instilling that, that pride and ownership in the product of this is not, you know do as much as you can in 12 minutes and see you later and just set it and forget it. This, these workouts would take like constant coaching, constant monitoring, adjusting, you know, you could sit there and watch somebody do 15 and then see when they petered out at 11 and then tell them do a set of 10 this time and then sit there and watch them do 10 and then tell them do a set of six this time, but faster. And that you do that for a minute. So it's very coaching intensive, but that's the, that's kind of what we went over last time is the difference between, CrossFit, which we left, and then what we turned it into was a far more coaching-intensive and and labor-driven thing. But but it was awesome. It was awesome because you really got to dig in instead of just kind of exhausting yourself with well the basic movements that I like, but just exhausting yourself and and watching and running a clock for twelve minutes. Um, yeah, I like those. This is very reminiscent of the way you program, which I like. And so is my third one. <laughs> This is the ultimate expression of I, I wrote down the things that I like and not what's best for everybody because <laughs> I put down pull-ups. <laughs> so at first glance, it seems like I'm thinking of only myself because I am. But like we talked about last week, a pull-up is a vertical pull. I should have put vertical pulls. Stupid. But I, I like to do pull-ups. So I like pull-ups because they're difficult. Um, I, I also like pull-ups because I can do pull-ups. If you can't do a pull-up, pull-ups are terrible because you feel like a real jerk trying to do a pull-up and getting up off the ground a little bit or shrugging or anti-shrugging a little bit and then kind of failing. And then it's just a frustrating movement. So I should have put vertical pull, but I'll tell you why I like pull-ups first. You got to be strong to do them. You need a lot of core control to do them. Um, You can, if you do them correctly, you're not going to beat up your biceps as much as you think. You're going to really focus in on your back. Uh, and that's if you do them with control and intent. I also like them because it's, if you get good at them and you get strong, the top position of a pull-up can look really, really good or really, really bad. And if you know that you do a good one and you watch people do bad ones, you feel a sense of superiority, which I appreciate. Mm -hmm. Uh, but you also know that as a coach, that person can, if they're interested, they can be better and you can help them. One of the ways I would help them is the way that everybody can do pull-ups. And we touched on it last week, which is a vertical pull, which is starting at the top. So I'm just going to run that down one more time because it's very important. If you're training pull-ups, dead hangs and also starting from the top are two of the most effective ways. The negative pull-up, the best way I can tell you to do it is to have a partner there or a buddy there, okay? Or have something tall enough that when you stand on top of that object, your, your chest or like your collarbone is at the bar. And you're going to position so you can step off it or kind of crouch down on it during the pull-up. But you're going to set yourself up in the top position in the most perfect form that you can. And then 
you either tell your partner like let go or let me down slow or you step off the object and then you let yourself down slow over three or four or five seconds obviously the longer the more difficult but your goal is to keep that perfect position which would be like a tall neck shoulders depressed and back uh, shoulders down and back uh, broad chest out there not ducking underneath not kind of swinging underneath the bar your legs are relatively straight. You can hook your ankles, I suppose, if you want to keep full body tension, just as a little a little cheat there. But you're trying to keep your shoulders down as you lengthen your arms out. And then you get back on the box and you stand up back on top of it and get in that perfect top position again and then float down again. That's a fantastic way to build strength in your pull-ups. And it's a version of pull-up, Gina, again, there's a version of pull-up you can do. Um, but even if you just dead hang, and there's a whole book about it that I didn't read that was written, even if you just hang from a bar at full arm extension, it's supposed to do fantastic things for kind of remolding your shoulder joint and stretching out your lats and opening your chest. So even if you can't do a pull-up, getting on a bar or a door frame or something you can hang off of and just dead hang in there is going to be uh, hugely beneficial, hugely beneficial for your posture and your strength. Your grip's going to get worked. So my number three is pull-ups, even though I cheated and told you six different ways to not mm-hmm. do a pull-up to make it better. Did you read that the hanging shoulder book thing? Um, it came across my desk, but I did not read all the way through it. Yeah. One thing, just on the hang, a simple thing is if you can only do one pull-up and you eventually want to do eight pull-ups, you have to be able to hang onto the bar for 20 seconds to right. do that. So the hang has a direct you know, translation over there with, with just uh, being able to hang on there long enough to do the pull-ups. We also... Uh, We've dabbled a little bit with um, a kind of a leg-assisted pull-up where you mm-hmm. you just put a barbell uh, about collarbone height in a in a power rack and just assist yourself uh, really as little as possible with your legs, but kind of go through the same pattern. And kind of the same thing with the TRX. If you don't have a barbell, you can really shorten your TRX up. And then it kind of gives you a little bit more comfortable positions to work through with like a neutral grip instead of a, a supinated grip. Um, or pronated grip whenever you're uh, whatever you're limited to with your grips on your your pull-up bar that's true yeah the, the leg ones are cool t-rex is good tricky too though right because you have so much less stability even though mm-hmm. if you're just crouching underneath it and uh, you feel more comfortable it's definitely less stable that's pretty good six good movements man six good ones um and probably i would say that a majority of people listening will probably do the movements over the mobility stuff uh, but there's some fun mobility stuff that if you're going to pick one, I would insist you do the mobility stuff, even though the workout stuff is more fun. So for, for those listening here, do we say, do we, are we coming up with a way to put these online so they can see them? Well, yes, Kurt, we can. Oh, okay. Eventually I'll film some of these. <laughs> I don't know if I have all these. Um, we will definitely film them and they'll be on the fourth shift. You fourth shift. It's a tricky name. I'm glad I picked mm, it. Yes. YouTube page. Um, they'll be there and it'll be posts and everything. The only thing that'll prevent it from being posted up there is if miraculous.
All right, so we left off at, um, yes, these will be on YouTube. Uh, our, my battery, my recorder thing ran out of battery. So the only thing you guys missed was um, I went on a cool five-minute talk about how much I enjoyed Instagram being down. How it was Then I was living my best life, but I couldn't tell anybody about it because there's no social media, so kind of a bummer. Whoops, got to get my thing off the chart. All right, let's get into mobility. Um, like I said, if you're going to do anything from this episode, try the mobility stuff. You can incorporate the workout stuff, that'd be fine. But the mobility stuff, I think Kurt and I both learned over time that that's what's going to keep you kind of moving and able to do stuff. And then you build strength on top of that. But if you're horribly immobile and you can't move, then it's hard to build strength. Uh, so start with mobility stuff if you want, and then use the strength stuff, but you're going to have a lot of material today. So kick us off with uh, A number one mobility. Uh, I'm going to do a figure four hip stretch. Uh, usually the best way we do this is from a seated position if you have a bench, or uh, you can do this at your office chair or kitchen table or, or any of those. You can also do it on the ground. Uh, you can lay down and, and uh, put your feet up on the wall to do it. But the idea of this is you cross one leg over. I call it sitting like a boy where like your ankle is on top of your opposite knee. And then from there, you try and keep your posture above your waist as straight as possible and then fold forward at your waist, thinking about touching your chest down to your knee that's out in front of you, which for most people isn't going to happen. So you just think about doing that. And you should feel a stretch in the butt cheek of the bent leg. Um, the one that's folded over the top. And so we use this for me, hip mobility. If I am limited on time, it's going to be, uh, hips that I go to. Um, I just think them being the driving force of everything and, and there being so many complications from lack of mobility and hips, uh, it's just typically where I'm going to go to, if I'm going to spend some time doing mobility work, um, I'll do it. We'll do these post-workout. A lot of times I'll do this mid-workout as kind of a forced rest and recovery uh, slash time efficiency thing. So if we're back squatting or deadlifting or something along those lines, we might do a heavy set of squats, something upper body. And then I might tell people that they're going to do 30 seconds of uh, this figure four hip stretch on each side to give them a full 60 seconds of time to rest and recover so that they can go add more weight and do another set of heavy back squats. Um, also, kind of like we talked about before, if we can open up another centimeter or two range of motion on the on the hips as we're doing um, the squats, then, then I just think it, it uh, is kind of icing on the cake for making sure we keep that movement as safe as possible. Very tricky. Very tricky way to add forced rest into, um, into complexes like that. I know I definitely fall into the trap if I don't have just something to do between lifting attempts. It's either no time, like as soon as I feel like I'm recovered, I go back at it, which is probably not long enough, or uh, I get on my phone and I screw around for five to seven minutes, which is too long. So structuring it like that, I think is pretty pretty awesome thing to do. And then, yeah. If you're undisciplined, the time limit's always better. If you say do five Thanks. of these on each side, yeah, you're right. someone will do them <laughs> in 15 seconds and move on you know, to what they, what they're excited to do. But if you uh, put the time, time limit on it, time constraint on it, I guess, then they're forced to sit there for, for the maximum amount of time. I thought you were inferring that I was undisciplined. 
Negative. With those five to seven minutes. <laughs> that's the direction no, you're going. No, that's extremely disciplined. If you're undisciplined. A lot of mobility happening there. <laughs> yeah. The discipline to come back to it after sitting around for seven minutes is more than I can imagine. And so say you're doing mobility and it goes on the five to seven. How how many times in that do you talk yourself in and out of stopping your workout at that point? Five to seven. Yeah. Five to seven every minute. <laughs> every time I start to feel good again, I'm like, yep. do I want to make myself feel terrible again? Yep. Um, and sometimes... I stop and I walk around and go in the garage for, or go out yep. to the shed for 10 minutes mm-hmm. and come back and pretend to do something else. Uh, so my number one mobility one is going to be a half kneel rocking, but I'm going to rock laterally left to right. So we're both attacking the hips on the first one and opposite sides of the hips, which I think is pretty cool. Kind of plays into what I had planned for this whole dynamic. So my half kneel rocking is you're going to be one knee on the ground or on an ab mat uh, or pad of some sort, and then your other leg is going to be planted in front of you. And that's going to be up to each individual person how far in front of you. I usually say a little bit farther than you think because what you're going to do is either put your your forearm on your thigh of the up leg and rock forward or put your hands on the ground and rock forward. And so the knee that's down, that quad and that hip flexor is going to get a real intense stretch in it. Now, instead of going 10 out of 10 full bore into that stretch, you're going to come off it a little bit or just don't go in it all the way. And then you're going to rock left to right with your hips. So you're going to open up your hips kind of. Let's say, let's say your right knee is down and your left foot is in front of you and your hands are on the ground inside of your leg. That's too difficult to envision. First, you're going to rock left. Let's just say left. And your foot is going to flop over, so your instep is on the ground, and you're kind of opening your hips up to the right, and you're going to feel a stretch rotate around to kind of your groin and your adductors. And then you're going to go back to neutral, which will be straight ahead. You'll feel it on your hip flexor. Then you're going to rock your hips to the right. And when you rock your hips to the right, you're going to feel a stretch in the outside of your thigh and kind of up in your butt cheek. Maybe not to your piriformis all the way, but you actually feel it kind of above your hip crest in your side, in your, in your side meat there, the love handles. And then you're going to come back to center. I like that one because you're hitting all the way around kind of the hip socket on that side. You're getting your, you're growing your adductors and then you're getting the um, regular hip flexor and then the outside of the hip and the thigh and up into your side, which can be, it's almost like a lat stretch. All those things restrict your hip mobility in the front side, inside and outside. Those things are what cause a lot of back pain. And that's a completely different wormhole for another day but if you stretch out your piriformis like Kurt's talking about and your anterior hip the front of your hip uh, your back pain will feel acutely much better and then over time if you continue to add length and control to those things your pelvis can kind of reorient itself into a nice a nice stable and neutral position and your back isn't under near as much stress from any direction so my number one is that half kneel but lateral rocking that one I was going to say for sure is on my YouTube page, but I'm not for sure at all because I know I've sent that to my clients individually, but um, I'll have to look. But look for that one soon enough on one of our two pages. So half kneel, lateral rocking is my number one. I like it. What's your number two? Uh, This isn't as much mobility as much as just um, kind of an an undervalued body weight is. And I can assure you that Neither of us planned this enough to go right from uh, back pain into a uh, remedy for back pain <laughs> topic, but um, walking is my is my last one. Um, just just a ton of benefits from it, from just the release of endorphins to make you feel good to being a phenomenal 
therapeutic exercise for people with chronic back pain um, to being what should be a staple in most people's typical cardiovascular uh, programs. Um, I think I think it's a totally undervalued thing because the intensity is so low on it. But when you when you are trying to do cardio, a lot of people think you know what you see on the treadmill is you got this like indicators of like you're going fast enough to be in a fat burning zone, and then you're going fast enough to be in a uh, cardio you know heart rate burning zone, and and um, yeah, like fat loss was it fat loss cardio like high energy or yeah yeah there's like four different zones they are, they're garbage they whatever yeah. they are first of all those things are, are so inaccurate second of <laughs> all just wrong um you know for cardio you don't need to be at the 90 percent of your target heart rate to to be in a cardio stage uh usually in like a 50 to 60 percent range is is a great place to be and something that you can maintain what it allows you to do is efficiently let the heart work without putting maximum toll on it. And that's, that's ultimately what you're looking for is can you get your heart rate up enough, keep it enough, but not redline it and, and push yourself into kind of a danger zone of it. Uh, the science of it is that you'll actually burn more fat. If you work out at a lesser intensity, um, you end up using fat as a little bit more of a fuel fuel source versus as you increase the intensity, you'll start using more carbohydrates. So as you're burning at that upper uh, percentile, not as much fat burning, still significant amount of calorie burning, more calorie burning at that point. But, um, if you're someone who might need to lose a little bit of weight, uh, walking versus walking longer, uh, is going to be a better option for you than running. Also just the, the ability to repeat it over and over again with minimal stress on the body. You know, it's like people think that, that running is the, the way to go and, and, we kind of have this joke of like, you have to be fit to run. You don't run to be fit, you know, and runners are always in that like runners triad of like they're running or they're telling people about running or they're in physical therapy, you know, and it's like <laughs> how much, how much do you gain and lose it, you know, in that period. So, um, I'm sure that at some point in time, a topic is going to be low back health here and we'll go into to much more detail on the, the, the extreme benefits of just doing a 10 minute walk a day. Um, but uh, just a, just an often neglected but easily done and, and very beneficial movement to do with no equipment at all. Yeah, there, well, there's several topics in, in your explanation of that that we're going to hit on. Uh, one of them again, for sure, and then low back pain and low back pain health and recovery is absolutely one. We talked about um, a long time ago, which is not a which is a completely arbitrary statement considering the timeline of this podcast. We talked about submaximal training and how submaximal is actually far beneficial to just going, just killing yourself for seven minutes and collapsing on a puddle because submaximal and, and all the way through the heart range that you're talking about is what we operate most in uh, on EMS calls in the fire ground. And that's, that's the range where you can not only work at a perceived high exertion rate, but also have your wits about you and then learn how to calm down and, and take a breath and reorganize yourself. So that's like the training ground for when the world actually ends and you actually have to go kill zombies. You'll be effective because of the ways you did it when you were just walking down the street, smelling the flowers, mm-hmm. you know, and try not to let Nathan jump into the culverts with the mud and whatever else is running off from the houses. All right. Well, I mean, and walking itself is a whole episode, like in general. Um, yeah. We've, we've talked about that walking backwards for back health, um, loaded, Carries, loaded yep. carries, loaded are nice carries. to say loaded carries, loaded, loaded walking, like um, rucking more or mm-hmm. less, uh, to put a 
a term to it. So my last one is, I wish it would end with walking. Because <laughs> 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 that's a great one. That's a great one that uh, everybody likes and everybody says we should do and we don't do enough. My last one's kind of a circus trick. It's kind of a circus trick, and I changed it from what I told you was before. I can't okay. remember what, what I said it was before, but uh, it's therapy wall squats because it is a circus trick. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is a Raf Ruiz adap- ad- adaptation, adapted movement. I don't know. I didn't start doing them until we hooked up with Raf, and uh, I know other people do them other places, but I'm going to give him credit for, for uh, enlightening the world on these, even if he won't. Therapy wall squat is one of the most, um, I'll say, terrifying and can be one of the most uncomfortable movements that you can do using nothing but the wall in front of you. I'll set it up for you. You're going to start standing up from, standing up tall with your arms overhead, as straight as overhead as you possibly can. If your hands are together, like palm on top of the back of your hand, like you're swimming, diving into a swimming pool, that's the most advanced, okay? And your arms are locked out and you're... Your biceps are by your ears, so real streamlined position. Your squat base is going to be whatever squat base you typically have, whatever width or toe turnout that you are comfortable with or you know works for you based on your body type or your training uh, restrictions. The difficulty here and how you scale this movement is how close you are to the wall. If you stand a foot away from the wall, it can be relatively easy because as you squat down, You'll be able to avoid touching your wrists or bending your elbows. So touching your wrists to the wall or bending your elbows or ducking too far forward with your, your chin or your chest, bringing that to the wall because you're so far away. A foot of travel forward uh, while squatting is, is a lot. As you move closer to the wall, the world starts to close in on you slowly by slowly like quicksand. If you get six inches from the wall, and now it's very difficult because you're severely limiting your knee travel in that forward plane, the sagittal plane. You're not letting your knees come forward, which means you have to recenter yourself uh, and your center of gravity and still go down into a full squat without touching the wall. If you get within sides, if you get inside of six inches, uh, you're in for a real treat because everything starts to fall apart about halfway down. Your elbows start to bend more as you try to avoid the wall. You're, you're falling backwards off your heels a little bit. So at that point, if you want to bring your hands down to like a prisoner position, hands on the top of your head, that's doable. Or even bring your arms out to a Y position. Um, that's doable, but the ultimate test would be within about two inches of the wall, arms straight up, and uh, do a full squat all the way down without contacting the wall. For some people, they might feel it in their low back, a big stretch in their low back. Other people might feel a lot of tension in their upper back and their T-spine where they're fighting for extension but can't quite get it. Other people feel it uh, in their hips and butt because there, that's the rubber band part that's stretching over everything else, and that's going to limit you and push you back and fall, make you fall off your heels at the back. So therapy wall squat is one of those things that we, every single person we could get our hands on could do it through one variation or the other, and everybody had their own personal limitations to it. And then you have freaks out there. Um, I know a couple of years ago we were doing something. I put a version up there, and Hunter Schur, who was a, co- a guest host of this, uh, did it holding a Swiffer over his head with his toes touching the wall. Um, and then he sent me an abusive message afterwards about how inferior I am to him. So that mm-hmm. was that was fun. And then, uh, and then I couldn't replicate it, so I felt like a real jerk. But therapy wall squat, my number one mobility one. Fun circus trick. Um, try it out and uh, don't feel bad if you don't do well at it because very few people do. Um, when's the last time you did a therapy wall squat? 
it's been a while and I, I'm upset at myself for that. But um, what a great movement for a coach or a department to use with as an assessment or a screening tool at zero cost. Um, yeah. There's so much that you can observe as a, as a coach uh, about people's movement dysfunction by just watching them do this movement and watching them struggle as you get through it. And you can see everything from, from dysfunctions at the ankle through the hip. You can see it in T-spine extension and, and, or lack thereof. You can see it at shoulder mobility. Um, you can see it in stability. So it just, just, if you, if you're struggling to figure out a way to assess somebody and you don't have an FMS or the funds for it, or you're, you're assessing a group of people, uh, rapidly, it's just, it's an awesome, awesome movement to use for that, that, uh, that task. If I put, if I package it as a fire department therapy wall squat and throw Maltese on there, I know it's free, but I can still charge 600 bucks for it. You or could. maybe paint a Maltese on the wall in front of you. You're, you're charging for the interpretation of the results. So what I, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. All right. So long list. Uh, six movements, four mobility things. Um, any advice going forward as people kind of listen to this? And I'll, I'm going to put the list of them. I'll put it on social media. I'll put it in the podcast notes description. So they're going to be able to look at them, reference them. Mm-hmm. Any tips on getting going in this stuff? You want somebody to incorporate them? The We talked about it before. The, the movements themselves, not the mobility stuff. The movement, do the mobility stuff. That's it. Do it till it's uncomfortable and then do it for 20 extra seconds because that's where you got that's where you're getting the mobility at. But the movements we talked about, do one perfect rep and then repeat another perfect rep and then go from there. Don't don't try and make these intense right off the shoot. You know, just build the foundation solidly and then work from there. It's perfect. I'm not even going to add to it. It's, uh, that's exactly, that was a philosophy at LGN and we're pushing it forward here on Tailboard Talk. How fantastic. All right, man. I think, uh, so you brought up a couple of different ways we can go forward with this. We can go into equipment. We can go into other parameters of movements and stuff. We're definitely going to do those in the future. And uh, that's it. Leave comments if there's something that you guys want to see on the direction you want to go. Yeah, but don't make them stupid because we're not doing those. No, I'm just joking. We we'll probably do. will yeah. in the beginning, <laughs> yeah. and then we'll stop doing them. Probably will, yeah, at least twice. All right, guys, until next time, always reach out. Why don't you give uh, pe- how people can reach out to you, too, if you want to go through LGN or you or however you want it. Uh, it's at LGN performance, at LGN underscore performance, or at Kurt, C-U-R-T underscore Hanson. S-O-N? S-O-N, yep. Beauty. And then uh, fourth shift stuff at fourthshiftfit at gmail.com. And then fourth shift fitness on all social media. Like I said, check out both of our YouTube pages, over 5,000 videos uh, at least. And um, a lot of stuff you've seen, but uh, probably 2,000 videos, stuff you've never seen. So check them out. Let us know how you like them. And then, like Kurt said, directions you want to see this thing go. We're open for it and we're going to be doing it still weekly. So until next time, guys, take care and I will talk to you soon and be a four shifter. <laughs>